I'm delighted to welcome to the show today beautiful lady called Birdie Lynn. Beautiful lady, beautiful name. Welcome to the show, Birdie. Thank you. So, Birdie, you've written a, a book that, uh, by all accounts, is going to be an absolute storm called Through the Storm of Early Trauma. So, um, the I'm guessing that the title says what it what it does on the tin kind of thing. So, um, early trauma. So, did you again? I'm guessing again. I'm guessing. Did you have uh, um, lots and lots of trauma in your early life? Because listeners won't be able to see you, but I can see that you're not as a, anywhere near as ancient as I am. So um, <laughs> the fact that you're writing now, I guess there must have been lots, lots that happened. So, so talk us through why you wrote the book and what kind of um, kind of bias, kind of uh, uh, what should we say? Um, What's going to excite people to read it? What's going to inspire people to read it? Why should they read it? Yeah, for sure. Um, Through the Storm of Early Trauma is um, a book about my childhood growing up and the adversity that I faced um, and how I got through that adversity. Um, and we label it as trauma because the experiences um, were pretty traumatic. Um, for me, um, so much so that they carried through my life as an uh, adult. Um, so, you know, I go through being molested for over a year to um, dealing with racism in high school, to dealing with um, being raped three times, um, you know, at the verge of uh, ending high school. And just anger problems and running away and being a pastor's kid. And um, there, were, there was a lot of things that I dealt with. Um, and I used outlets and tools um, to kind of get through those moments. And I wanted to share my story of how I powered through, um, you know, those moments as, as a child when you don't have professional help readily available like I can't just go as a six year six year old and say hey this is happening and um you know uh, uh hire my own counselor right I have to go through my parents and that's exactly the people I didn't you know know how to tell and so it's I had to become my own expert so when people are um younger people are in the situations like that um you know, I wanted to share my story as well as um, once you, as an adult, you're processing now this, this trauma, um, how, whether you know it or not as, as an adult, especially as a woman, if this has happened to you, that you're carrying this with you on your shoulders. And um, I don't know if you've run into women who likes, you know, they're moody, um, they, uh, you know, are, are always angry or just snapping on you or <laughs> um, there, there's always something, a deeper lying um, issue um, that that could be that they haven't dealt with. Um, and I know with Black women, we deal with the stigma of, um, you know, an angry Black woman. Um, well, why are Black women so angry? What have we dealt with? Um, what have we gone through? Um, and why is that stigma over us? 
Um, so I share a little bit about what I what I went through and and how I got through. Brilliant. Um, interesting. Um, you 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 raise uh, black people and black women in particular. I've never seen color, and I I I I throw my hands up in horror when when we have. Why should we have be having conversations in this day and age about color? Who cares? You know, it, mm -hmm. it, it, you're either a nice person or you're not. That's that, that's it as far as I go. I don't care what colour you are, what religion you are, what political persuasion. You're nice or you're not, and and that's that's the end of it. And um, exactly. my um my daughter and my daughter's now 39 this year, which I can't believe. It's just incredible. Um, but when she was at school in in primary school, um, they were I suppose starting to talk about um racism, and I think a lot of the problem is is in education where this things are whipped up unnecessarily. And um, she, the, in, uh, I come from a predominantly white conservative type of background. And um, she, she came home from school one day and she said, mum, they asked a really, the teacher asked a really strange question today. She said, um, do you have any black friends? And um, we, all, we all said, no. I said, well, you do, don't you? Shelly Ann is your friend. Oh, oh, I said, yes. I mean, she's, she's, she's black as they come and she hadn't, seen the colour and I was so proud. So I think it's um it's really unfair that um you've you've had to deal with this, but it's life, isn't it? And unfortunately not everybody is as nice on the inside or the outside. So um I'm sorry that you've uh, you've gone through all of that. But you you but dealing with it through writing was that cathartic for you? Oh, was a very, uh, very cathartic moment. Um you know the fragility that is is in that 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 process. Um, I <sighs> I really appreciated going through the process. If I didn't go through the process, I would not have been um, where I'm at today. So um, yeah, I there's there's so many layers. Um, that I cover in, in, you know, in my book, um, and in so many, um, I guess, outlets and characteristics that I could uh, tie it back to just being, you know, an adult woman and being in the corporate America and knowing how we relate, like, okay, so this is how, when I faced this adversity and, um, you know, when I was younger, um, this is how I could tie it to as an adult woman going through pretty much sometimes the same things, you know, um, being bullied as a child and and then experiencing work bullying in corporate America. Um, it's saying you have kid bullies and work bullies, but um, uh, I'm going to tie it back to um, just for a second, go back to your comment on, on racism. Um, I think that's awesome that that you know your your daughter, you know, didn't really understand um, that, or she she didn't see color basically, right? But um, I want people to see me. I want them to see that I'm a black woman, and um, I want them to look around the boardroom table and say, "Who's missing?" Right? Does everyone you know around the table look like me? Or am I the only one that looks like me? We need to be asking ourselves those difficult questions. And one of the things that I realized when my father moved us when we were little from 
um, Texas to Oregon that um, although I didn't recognize that, I mean, I knew I was black, but I didn't recognize like that there was a, a major difference as to what color I was, right? Um, when I went to Oregon, I then realized like, oh my God, I'm black. Like, <laughs> like it, it matters to, to, to everyone that was there because bl being black wasn't a good thing. And that was something that, um, you know, being called, you know, the N-word and um, being uh, shunned because of the color of my skin, that's something that I, I dealt with, you know, having skinheads write the N-word on my locker, having the word peppered around in conversations, having a teacher read it while I was in class, um, you know, as he was reading the book, Huckberry Friend, and I was just like so mortified. Um, and then not understanding that he was offending me um, and the other kids who looked around and were uncomfortable. Um, so it was, it was a lot. <laughs> Gosh, it's, and, and, and so unnecessary. I know through the ages, we do get far more aware of things, you know, how, how we treat people and so on. But I think a lot of it is going back to old fashioned values and honor and integrity, decency, dignity, respect, all that, all that good stuff. Um, mm -hmm. We see in previous generations, but it seems to be lost today. Um, talking about yeah. your um, experiences at school. So did, did you, so, so you realized, so you'd gone from one area to another, which sounded like it was significantly different in terms of culture as well. So I guess there's cultures, not just, just the, the color, it's, it's the culture of how people approach things and what they do and what they say. So how did the cultural change impact on your life? You know, the, the kind of the way of living. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's a great question. The culture uh, changed um, from like being in Texas. It's funny because you would think you were in the South, right? <laughs> and that I was, you know, dealing with all kinds of racism. Um, but I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't made to know, know that I was actually a black, young black girl until I got up to Oregon. Um, the schools, um, I was, you know, predominantly around black and brown kids, um, but there were white people everywhere, right? So it wasn't like, <laughs> um, I focused in on, oh, it was just, you know, black people around me. Um, they, the, the schools um, that I went to, they were, you know, um, they were, they were kept, but they weren't new. Um, we had dogs sniffing all the time. Um, you know, the, the, the German shepherds that would come to the school and sniff our, our lockers. We had, um, uh, uh, and particularly at my high school, we had metal detectors. Um, we always had police officers walking throughout. Um, and, you know, like the, the food choices were, um, not as healthy. We had like a Pizza Hut and a Taco Bell. And, and then this, this, the school books in particular, I remember and I reference in the book, um, you know, I opened up a book that was from 19, you know, 80s and it was falling apart. And, you know, how these people had, you know, they were missing pages and people writing on pages. <laughs> and then I go to Oregon and, you know, I've, being issued a brand new book that was just printed that year. Um, there are no metal detectors. 
I, you know, the only time I saw a dog to come sniff was for a specific student who was reported that he had, you know, cocaine in his locker and selling it from out of his locker. Um, so we, I noticed that right off the top, like I didn't understand until I got older why, but there was more, there were, there was money in that system, um, in Oregon and, um, you know, they, they seem to care more about their kids' education. I also noticed that in Texas, they were teaching to a test. And at that time, it was a cost test, which was under the Bush organization. And President Bush really pushed that, you know, we, it, it, uh, when he was governor, that, uh, when he was governor of Texas, that, that uh, insisted that we, we um, take the test and, and the teachers teach to a test. So we were learning about a test. And then I go to Oregon and they're learning about real life <laughs> educational, um, you know, issues and, and solving those problems. And so that was a change as well. And it prepared me more for the world, prepared me more for corporate than when I was being taught to a test and the teachers were stressed out and the teachers, you know, in, in the new, um, my, my new culture around me, that those teachers weren't stressed and they were like you're way behind so it was it was a significant difference on top of the most obvious elephant in the room which was race right i was surrounded by white people i didn't see black asians hispanics it was just white people and i didn't see you know diversity um there was not a diversity in thought and there was that diversity in 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 people you know and so it was just I felt very secluded. So what age were you when you when you went from uh, Texas to Oregon? I was 14. I was a freshman in high school. Okay, so that's that's difficult. So moving completely, I mean did did you have friends did you leave friends behind? Had you had you made a, a group of friends where you were? Absolutely. I was just budding. Um, you know, in, in middle school, I, I um, you know, I was bullied all the way up until eighth grade and was dealing with some, you know, very hard family times and so much so that, um, you know, I, I was done. I didn't want to live this life. I tried to commit suicide. Um, and, um, and from there, I touched a lot of other students um, and touched the, the, the school administration to where they started to pay attention and started to in, incorporate like zero tolerance uh, bullying policies. And um, I started to develop a circle of friends um, that went into to high school. And in high school, I met a young lady, um, Nikki Hurd, um, rest in peace, who um, you know was, was murdered, but she had the heart of an angel and she took me in. She was, you know, one of the most popular girls um, of our senior class um, uh, that year when I entered the high school and she took me under her wing and, and we became fast friends. So absolutely, I left that behind. I left my track career behind. Um, you know, I, I, I was devastated to move to Oregon, honestly. <laughs> So, so you mentioned that your father was a pastor. Was that the reason that he moved the family? Yes, um, you know, my, my father was a pastor and he, he was a minister first. Um, so he was always preaching 
and he accepted a pastoral position um, in Oregon, and that's why we 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 headed up there. On on balance, looking back now as an adult, would you recommend Texas or Oregon lifestyle? <laughs> oh, Elaine, why you're doing this to me? Uh, <laughs> so, I would, I mean. I would definitely would love to have continued to grow up um, in Texas because of my, my track career. Um, but I wish that I could take all of the positive things um, that were around me in Oregon and insert them in Texas in the community that we grew up in. We just needed a better educational system. We needed teachers who cared about us. Um, and, and we didn't, we didn't have that. So. You've mentioned it. Uh, I'm not quite sure what you're saying is, are you saying track career? You, is it, is that sporting? Yeah. Um, I ran track. Um, I was, I've always just ran, um, from starting to race the kids in school. Uh, you know, just growing up, we'd race out in the streets and barefooted and, <laughs> <laughs> I was a little tomboy um, and then it grew into like elementary school and then I ran for my middle school and um, and for high school and eventually ended up taking a, a scholarship to, for college. Awesome and what, what what track events were you doing? What was your specialism? My special was um, the long jump so <laughs> Very good. I, I love the long jump and I I, my role model for track was Jackie Joyner Kersey. That name doesn't mean anything to me, but I'm sure it's a, a very, there's so many wonderful athletes over the years that have, that have come and gone. And it's great she's to have somebody to look up to. Yeah, she's definitely a world-class Olympian. She's the best, actually. <laughs> do, you, do you still do your events? I don't. <laughs> I don't. Um, I am. I, I kind of. I, I coached it for a while um, in my twenties, and then kind of in my thirties, I just started to focus on my career. So, um, sport. Would you say that sport helped to get through your childhood? Did you kind of disappear into the the sport when you were when you were being you? You know, Birdie Lynn. This is me. I'm I'm doing what I love to do. I'm good at it. And that, you know, was that helping you get through what else was going on in life? Absolutely. Um, sports helped me um, survive a lot of my middle school and high school um, because I was able to, especially track, it's a mental sport. And, you know, it's, it, it's a mental challenge because you have to get lost in your head. You have to visualize um, you running, winning the race or you jumping. Um, you know, whatever your event was, you had to visualize that mentally in your head. And you had, my fiercest competitor in track was me. Um, you know, I had, of course, I had people out there that were faster, you know, stronger, but um, I had to get past me first <laughs> in order to show that skill. And so it was, a, it was always a mental thing. And I would, I definitely use that as something I'm always training 
Um, I loved basketball, I loved volleyball. So I was an athlete and that helped. I think that's um, that's a, a, a story that kind of went through my childhood as well. I was also an um, athlete and track and field and swimming and trampolining and you name it, I did it. And if it wasn't for being able to disappear into sports, because I never fitted in, um, I never fitted in anywhere. I never have done to this day. Um, but being on the sports field, as you say, it's it's your own, um, you kind of find inner strength, don't you, from somewhere to get you through and uh, and keep on. So yeah, keep on track, that's brilliant. How would you, how would you recommend young people um, who have, who probably are still experiencing the, the type of childhood that you went through, how, how, how would you recommend that they kind of, you know, take themselves in hand as it were, is, you know, is, is it possible, you know, does it really come from within, do, do you need mentors? Yeah, um, so how I still deal with it, um, well, I guess I'm not really dealing with it anymore. <laughs> I'm kind of like going through um, the second half of my life and dealing with those issues. But um, on the first half, I think I had to just understand, um, I don't know if you know, like the definition of a misfit, you know, you have to be okay with who you are. And sometimes like um, to fit within the greater part of society, I mean, it, that's like keeping up with the Joneses. So you have to really believe in yourself and who you are, but to get there and how I got there, um, you know, I took steps that worked for me that I had to kind of create on my own um, when I didn't have, you know, the money or um, able to go and say I needed professional help um, to speak with a counselor. Um, you know, I had to recognize um, that, you know, especially as an adult, I had to recognize what I was dealing with. Um, and once I recognize, you know, hey, I I'm dealing with depression, you know, there's something deeper um, uh, underlying issue that I'm dealing with. Um, and I had to acknowledge and accept that I was dealing with it. Um, you know, once I did, you know, I, you know, I accepted that and acknowledged it, then I went on to, okay, what's the problem? I need to identify it. And then I need to be able to understand it. Um, once I was able to understand like the why um, behind what I identified and what happened, um, then I needed to address it. I needed to confront it um, and, and forgive. Um, and I need to forgive myself first, you know, for whatever I was beating myself up about. Um, and once I forgive myself, I need to forgive that person. Once you truly forgive, and not surface level forgiving, like, okay, you know, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like the full truth. Like you need to tackle the full truth. Don't, you'll, if you don't admit the full truth to yourself, what happened on your end and that person's end, um, or just in the, the traumatic experience itself, you'll never heal because you, you'll heal in layers, okay. I forgive myself for this part. Oh, but then this happened too. And I was never really honest with myself about it. And then you go right back up to step one because you didn't, you didn't recognize that it was an issue. So, you know, once you truly forgive, um, then you can start taking the steps to move forward. And 
moving forward is once you release forgiveness for everything and the whole truth, then man, Elaine, the, the burdens that were lifted off of my shoulder, the weight, I felt free. I didn't feel shame, you know, anymore, um, you know, being molested and, and going through that sexual abuse. I felt shame for so many years. I hated my body as a woman, especially even after I was raped. It was like, you know, at that point it was like, okay, what is it? Like, I hate having a vagina. I hate this. Like, I hate a woman's body. I don't want, I didn't want anybody to see me. I wore long sleeves and long skirts. It was just like, I, I just didn't like myself. And I, I, I didn't recognize that for years until I did. And then I took those steps, you know, slowly. They weren't, it wasn't just like overnight. I took those steps to identify, you know, why, and then understand. Um, because a lot of times, um, if somebody's hurt you, um, you're hurting and you're walking around hurting other people without realizing it. And so hurt people hurt people. And so that's something I had to recognize. And, you know, once I did and, and recognize the source of my hurt, um, then I was able to finally move forward and I'm shameless and fearless um, today. And I love it. And I just want to share it and and I, I hope that, um, you know, there are other women listening or women or men, because we all tra experience trauma um, traumatic experiences in our life. Um, no one escapes from trauma or adversity. Mm. The forgiveness is a, an absolutely mega, mega thing. And people underestimate that. Um, people I mentor through cancer and out the other side, they, um, to, towards recovery, that is, um, although not always, of course, but um, they're, the level of forgiveness, the level of stuff they've had to deal with over the years, the level of resentment they have, the level of anger, all the emotions that we contain in. Um, so the work that I do now uh, relating with this behavioural profiling and how it relates to our health. So our behaviour can help us or hinder us in so many ways in life. So that's why I've had developed um, a behavioural profiling software tool that's unique to me on my website. So I'm offering it free of charge to schools and colleges for young people and um, teenagers so that they can understand who they are as early as possible in life to be a better version of themselves and accept the behaviours that they have. If somebody had done that for me when I was at school, I wouldn't have got into trouble. I used to bunk off school. If I wasn't on the, the sports field or in the swimming pool, I'd be in the cemetery where I was where I bunked off because that's the only place I could think of where nobody would see me and nobody would think to look for me. So I'd be wandering around the cemetery looking at all the tombstones and the, the poems on there and all the rest of it. Um, but if somebody had said to me, well, actually, your profile is good for this or that, uh, which I've learned over the years now, then, you know, I might have had a completely different story. But we are, we are who we are. We are where we are. And everything, nothing's wasted. Everything that we've been through the adversity, I mean, I'm sure you, you like me, didn't know what adversity was. We, you just go through stuff, don't you? You deal with it, you get on with it. And then when you look back, um, and, I, and I guess when you were writing your book, stuff was coming up that you'd forgotten about. I know it has with me. I've, I've forgotten about a lot of stuff. Um, I, I, I only realised something really quite significant recently. I blacked it out, totally blacked it out. Um, I was, um, I was um, picked up by a paedophile. I mean, there, but for the grace of God, you know, if somebody saw what was happening and, and intervened, thankfully. Um, and I'd, I'd forgotten all about that. And it wasn't until I was in my 50s 
but somebody said um i do a lot of public speaking or did a lot of public speaking and they said tell us something that you don't know about that, that, that we don't know about you um and i thought what what, what haven't i said and I thought, oh i know and it just like popped out like it was i was just going to the sweet shop or something you know so we we, we bury stuff ourselves um so how did you how did you decide to write this book how did you decide to get all of this fear this anger this resentment the hurt out of you how did you get from there to to writing a book and feeling really comfortable with yourself yeah so that that was honestly divine intervention and i say i say that because um i am a very spiritual person um but i was just really minding my business and i volunteered for an organization um I would, uh, it was a church I attended, Alpha Street Baptist Church um, in Virginia. And when I moved from Virginia to Texas, there was uh, one event that particularly touched my heart that I just wanted to keep on um, volunteering for. And it was Feed the 5,000. And um, I flew back, um, I would fly back, you know, try to every year um, and, um, you know, volunteer for that event and then quietly go back home. And one of the, the directors said, you know, just, you know, small talk. And it was just like, um, but he was like, you know, where are you from? And I, I hated to say it because <laughs> I didn't want to draw any attention. I'm like, I'm from Texas. <laughs> but I was wearing a cowboy shirt. So <laughs> Dallas Cowboys, um, a football team here. And so I, um, you know, he's like, you're from Texas. And he was like, okay, so what's your story? And I was like, why do I have to have a story just to volunteer? And so I ended up sharing just the surface level of my, you know, story. I call it the fast food version whenever I'm just, you know, sharing that. And um, he, you know, was, was crying. And, and this guy is like, you know, uh, Navy, um, you know, very high up in the Navy ranks. Um, and I was just surprised. And I'm just like, why are you crying? Like, and he was like, you have a powerful story. You should really share. There are so many people who could relate and could hear it. And so I was like, Oh, okay. And like, yeah, this guy's crazy. I'm not ever sharing my private life. <laughs> and, you know, I had already like kind of revealed just a little bit of um, things to a women's Bible study group I was in. And then they had said the same thing. So of course I was just mute on it. I'm not going to put my private life out there. Um, it's just too much. Um, it, it's not going to help anybody. You know, people are just going to sensationalize it and that's not what it's about. And so, um, you know, I wanted to protect my life, and and um, I think what in, what well what ended up happening is God used um, people I didn't know to tell me that um, I was running from something, and I had a um, a lady who was at work, one of um, our our senior vice presidents. Um, she had just joined the company, and we were on a phone call. Um, and she stopped in the middle of the phone call for talking about work. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, you know, she asked me if I was a believer and I was like, yeah. And she was just like, she was just, you know, um, wanted to share with me that she had a strong, you know, just feeling just coming from over the phone that I'm hurting and that I'm running from something. And I mean, this just came out of nowhere. So you have to understand, I was like looking around like, oh my God. And then it just started bawling. Cause you know, she literally did not know me. I met her twice. And so she was just prophetically speaking. And so I was like, okay. 
And at the time I was like, I really didn't understand what it was I was running from. There was not like a sign from heaven saying, this is what it is. Well, the next time, um, you know, uh, it was two months later, um, I had had a breakdown in, in uh, uh, May. I just, it was overwhelmed and a lot, a lot of stuff had, had, um, you know, just got caught up with me. And I think my past had caught up with me and I wasn't happy with where I was. And she, uh, or God sent a pastor um, in, in, in Plano, Texas that, you know, has five churches and over 10,000 members. And, and this man did not know me. <laughs> and I was packed up, ready to move to Florida. And he was like, you know, I've never had to say this before in my life. He's like, but, you know, and I know that I don't know you. He was like, but I have a feeling you're not supposed to move. He was like, because you're running from something. And at that point, I was like, okay, I don't know what, what is this? What is it that I'm running from? But I was ready to listen, right? And after that happened, I went out to my car um, and opened up my phone. And the same guy that I told the story to who had been telling me, hey, you know, you should, you should write your story. He had been texting me about writing it. Um, you know, and checking in on me, have you started your book yet? I'm like, oh my God. He actually was on my phone when I got to the car and it said, um, hey, have you started your book yet? And I said, oh my God, it's that. So that's that's when the story began. And and when was that, Birdie? How long? How oh, long that was 2019. 2019 so it started in April and then um June of 2019 and I remember the day that all of that happened was June 10th um with the pastor it was June 10th 2019 um Dallas had a just a, a microburst storm is what they called it where it just kind of sucked up the earth um and spit it back out um it was really windy um we had never seen that type of storm before but that was the day Okay, so that's that's uh, also links to the to the book title, doesn't it? Through the storm yeah. of early trauma. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, it's been wonderful speaking with you, Birdie, and I'm sure um, anybody who reads the book will be suitably inspired and uh, um, take their hat off and, and applaud what you've done and and uh, where you are now. So, so when you're not writing a book, then what 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 do you do in in your day job, or or has this now become your day job? You know, talking and speaking about your experiences. Um, yeah, so this has become a part of my day job. Um, I own two um, companies, um, well, well, three now, because I turned this one into one, um, Birdie Land. But um, I, I founded and um, own Milan Property Management. Um, it's a real estate um, management firm, so in commercial and uh, multifamily, and then also um, a tech company where we're developing um, a tech app for the real estate um, communication world to kind of increases resident retention. And so that's uh, REM, um, it's pronounced REM, but a lot of people just call it REM. <laughs> cool, okay, clever, clever girl, not just a pretty face, wonderful. <laughs> yes, and thank you. And my son, of course, I, I'm just keeping him grounded. He's in college. <laughs> Cool. So uh, how do people get hold of the book, Birdie? What's your, tell the listeners your contact details. 
For sure. So you can go um, onto Amazon and go, uh, you can Google through the storm of early trauma. Um, you can go onto Amazon and um, look for through the storm of early trauma. Um, and also I wanted to do a deeper dive and create a workbook um, for anybody who wants to kind of go through that process that I mentioned earlier that I went through. Um, I give outlets in that, in that workbook as well and kind of make it an experience and journey. Um, and that can be found on birdieland.com. That's B-Y-R-D as in dog, Y-L-Y-N-N. Um, so my first and last name, all one word, um, .com. And um, you can find the workbook and, you know, journals and just, you know, it's promotional um, Birdieland swag. So brilliant. So it's not just a book, it's an experience. And by the sounds of it, mm -hmm. awesome. <laughs> well done. Well done, that girl. Lovely to speak with you, Birdie. Thank you. You said the same, Elaine. <laughs>